Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy... This was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Wednesday, July 27th, 2022, the 553rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of the paid subscribers on Substack. I'm your moderator.substack.com. That is the one and only way you can hear the podcast on the day of its release. A welcome and thank you to all of the brand new subscribers to the show and to the Substack. A lot of people heard the episode yesterday, and I thank my friends for sharing that and putting it in front of people and getting some more eyes and ears on the content. I really, really do appreciate it. There is nothing I appreciate more than when people are supporting the work I do, whether it's through paying to subscribe to Substack, or just simply sharing the material and making sure that new people see it. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you want to subscribe, you can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. It comes out to under a quarter per episode. You get all the writing right up front, and I will do my absolute best to make sure that you continue to find your support of me worthwhile and justified. So today... Let's talk about the communist obsession with language and manipulating language to further their agenda while completely detaching people from any sort of concrete reality. And let's start with a quote from William Casey, who was the CIA director in the 1980s. He said, We'll know our disinformation program is complete when everything the American public believes is false. Now, there have been attempts by people to say that William Casey did not, in fact, say this, but there has been some research and reporters who were in the room when he said it attest to the fact that this is a legitimate quote. 
So I am going to trust that research. If you want to see that research for yourself, I posted an article about it today in the info stream on Telegram, t.me slash I'm your moderator. Go look at the background. And of course, there is ample evidence that exists in the empirical and observable reality we are experiencing now to see that that concept as a plan has continued to be implemented over the last 40-ish years since he was purported to have said this. We now have two realities, one that is created by the media and by the entertainment industry and the universities and big tech and our corporations all agreeing about a set of ideas about how the world actually is. And those ideas are drilled into people's heads over and over and over and over and over again. The problem arises when you try to test those stories, that narrative about the false reality against the empirical observable reality that we experience in our everyday lives. If the narrative was true, you should be able to dissect it down to its parts and have all of those parts be supportable within the empirical observable reality. And it turns out you can't ever do that. Take any of the major examples, any of the major stories over the last six or seven years, let's say seven, since Donald Trump burst onto the scene, since he came down the escalator. I feel like that's usually a pretty good starting point. You remember, people got immediately angry at Donald Trump because he said they're not sending their best when talking about illegal immigrants flooding through our southern border. Hundreds of thousands a month is the rate now, and we have seen high rates of illegal immigration under past presidents, not so much under Donald Trump, but certainly under Barack Hussein Obama. And we know in the empirical observable reality happening right now that all sorts of criminals, terrorists from other countries, drug traffickers, human traffickers, murderers, rapists, they're coming in. Donald Trump in his speech at the America First Policy Institute yesterday mentioned that last week, I think it was last week, he might have said last month, I think it was last week, but either way, same principle. 141 different countries were represented among the illegal immigrants who entered the United States. Now, we've been told that what we actually have is a humanitarian crisis at the border and that we must accept all these illegal immigrants into the country and give them health care and housing and jobs, because if we don't, we're racist. And they facilitate all this with the asylum process. We are told that these people are fleeing gang violence or domestic violence or even climate change which is why Kamala Harris went down to the golden triangle to try to address root causes. So if we give those countries more money, we're told that maybe we'll improve conditions down there so they don't want to come here. And until conditions improve down there, well, we're just going to have to bring them all into the country because they were fleeing. America is the safe place. Apparently, Mexico is not. They are still subject to to the same gang violence and domestic violence and climate change that they would have experienced in their own country. And besides, they paid the cartels to get all the way to America, not just halfway. And it's not like the cartels have a return policy. So it would be really weird 
It would be rude if we didn't let them all the way into America. I mean, they already paid the cartels. So he said they're not sending us their best. There are rapists, there are murderers. And he said that there are also some perfectly good people. But it's the policy and the open border that's the problem. It's certainly not the race of the people who come in. Ukrainian neo-Nazis are white. No one in the MAGA movement wants to invite Ukrainian neo-Nazis into the country. We don't even want the country funding them in Ukraine. But they didn't like Donald Trump's tone. So it turns out that Donald Trump is racist. And they've hammered that narrative for seven years. They try to go back into his past as if he has been a lifelong racist. And the proof of that is a false story about the Central Park Five. That if you go back and research, you'll be like, Oh, yeah, Trump was right about that. And of course, you have the Muslim travel ban. But if you research that, you'll find out the media was lying there. You have very fine people on both sides. But if you research that, you'll find out that Donald Trump says explicitly that he wasn't talking about white nationalists and neo-Nazis. He says it in the same segment of the same press conference. And so you can take apart the Donald Trump is racist narrative that child brains across the country believe actually across the world because they made this stuff global media so that everybody all around the world knew how bad Donald Trump was. But you take it apart in all its little pieces. You find out each and every one of those pieces isn't true. The whole thing is obviously untrue based on the disintegration of every one of its parts. And we can see it for exactly what it is, a media attempt to construct a false reality in which Donald Trump is a racist. And it turns out that every one of their best examples for that story is itself a lie. And you can continue on with that. Look at the Steele dossier, the whole Russiagate hoax, every one of the little pieces, all of the factual claims that the grander narrative depends on for its truth value are themselves false. You remember Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti on the television 24 hours a day. That whole story is false. Stormy Daniels has to pay Donald Trump half a million dollars. Michael Avenatti is in prison for fraud. Some of the smartest voices on the left thought Avenatti would be the perfect 2020 presidential candidate to run against Donald Trump. I think Bill Maher was out there saying that everybody loved Michael Avenatti. This was going to be the silver bullet that finally took down Donald Trump, except turns out the entire story was false. The entire basis for impeachment hoax number one about Ukraine was entirely false. You can break down each of the composite parts, disprove each of them individually. The whole narrative is false. The news wasn't communicating a true story and just happened to get some things wrong. They communicated completely made up facts about an entirely false reality. And they hammered at it and hammered at it and hammered at it. The people who testified to provable falsehoods in that Ukraine impeachment trial, many of them now have jobs in the fake president's administration. And Alexander Vindman, the whistleblower, 
gets a role on Curb Your Enthusiasm to show everybody how nice and how hip he is. Look at him being funny. Ooh, it's kind of a parallel. He's whistleblowing on Larry David. So he couldn't have just made the whole thing up. Remember Donald Trump firing his brother? That was like a coup against the United States of America. Remember how that was covered. Each and every part is false. And they have to continue building new falsehoods to support the grander falsehood. And we talked a bit about this last week. We see this same process. Repeat and repeat and repeat, no matter what the issue is. When I started this podcast, one of the first things I wrote and said on this show, it was an essay called On Theorism. And I propose that all of the knowledge, the entire knowledge base of this communist movement, as delivered from the authoritative source through the news, was purely theoretical and could not be rooted in reality. You can try to trace back all the important facts about the grander narrative, and you will find that each and every one of these supporting facts is a bizarro world opposite from what you're being told. You do that enough times, people keep believing it, people keep spreading it and sharing it and defending those points of view because they don't want to look dumb and because they are socially incentivized or in career ways or in personal relationships, they're incentivized to stick with that viewpoint because that is how you identify yourself in groups as one of the people that knows what's really going on. If you do that enough and you're doing it in a coordinated fashion, all of the people who believe these stories or believe most of the stories a lot of people will even admit that they know parts of the story are wrong, but they'll say it doesn't change the grander story because they haven't looked at each and every individual part. They've looked at a few parts and they're like, yeah, well, I know those parts are wrong, but there's no way the whole thing is wrong. Like you'll find people who will not ever take a booster for the experimental gene therapy and they're not that scared of COVID anymore. They realize maybe that masks don't do anything because the removal of masks did absolutely nothing. People did not start falling dead in the streets when people stopped wearing masks. There hasn't been an outbreak on the planes, for instance. So they know there's a couple of things wrong with the story, but they never get all the way there. They think people probably made a few mistakes. They were better safe than sorry, right? Masks are better safe than sorry. That's the Bottom line for a lot of people, they think maybe it might work. So it's important to do it. They never think all the way through this stuff and actually get to the ends of their own positions. They don't inspect their own positions. They don't know if the facts that make up their position, the one that was received through the news, through the cultural communication channels directly from the authoritative source. They don't bother looking at all of the facts to see that it turns out every single portion of the story you believe is actually wrong. And it's not just wrong. It's intentionally wrong. It is intentionally wrong to steer you away from the reality they don't want you to understand. And if you can't come to terms with that, then you're really, really not awake to what's going on right now. This is a significant 
propaganda and censorship regime. These have existed in history. It's not enough to simply believe that you couldn't be tricked and that it couldn't happen here. It can happen here and it is happening here. How are they able to do it so successfully? Well, again, they place incentives on belief, especially on expressed belief. You can think what you want in the privacy of your own home, but you can't really act on it and you better not say it in public unless you want to lose career opportunities, lose your ability to speak online or participate in society in other ways. And you're going to have your relationships with your family, your friends, your community negatively affected if you go against the main story. There is certainly no denying that censorship is widespread in this country right now. Any study of what goes on with the social media companies would prove that. But the truth is you don't even need to go that far. Say one thing online that doesn't agree with the central narrative that challenges the central narrative directly, and you will be censored. You might not be kicked off a platform. They might just apply a little warning label to your post. They might just shadow ban you and you don't even realize it's happening, but it is happening. You will be censored for contesting the central narrative. But the truth is even simpler than that. You don't need to be censored yourself to know that censorship is happening. You should know it's happening because prominent public figures in legacy media outlets, including those considered to be elite, are arguing for censorship. Not only do we know the history of censorship, our First Amendment, our codified human right in the American Constitution is for freedom of speech, and it's being directly violated, not only by private companies, but by quasi-private companies, stakeholders, in public-private partnerships with the government. The American government is literally directing the censorship of American political speech in violation of the First Amendment and in conjunction with some of the most powerful companies in the world, companies that know where you are all the time. They know your relationships. They know who you talk to and what you say. They know what you're buying. They know more about you potentially than you know about yourself. And those are the companies this government chooses to help them censor you. And people in our quote unquote intellectual class, our intellectual elites, at least those who are trapped in the false reality, argue in favor of censorship in public and they're praised for it. That fact alone should tell you all you need to know about whether or not censorship is happening and, and what class of people representing what point of view feel that their position needs to be supported through this censorship because to argue with them is to argue against reality and it's very, very dangerous. Except the problem is they are in a false reality. The way to know that is they cannot back up any of the component parts of the narrative they profess. Break it down into all the factual claims that are necessary to make up that grander narrative. You will find none of those 
component parts stand up to scrutiny at all. And now we have, as it turns out, in the words of William Casey, a situation where everything a large portion of the American public believes is false, just totally false. No attachment to reality whatsoever. We have a portion of the American public, as I was saying, that still believes Donald Trump said there were very fine people on both sides. There's a portion of the American public who still believes that Donald Trump hired Russian hookers to pee on him on a bed in a Russian hotel room where Barack Obama had stayed. Ooh, Donald Trump is soiling Barack Hussein Obama's hotel stay bed. How could he? It's so disrespectful to our false idol. These stories have no attachment whatsoever to an empirical and observable reality. They are provably false beyond a shadow of a doubt. And yet we still have a huge portion of the public that believes them. And it is a huge problem. It is incredibly difficult to have any sort of productive discussion with people who are fully engaged in the false reality, because when they start letting go of any of the parts of the false reality, they know psychologically somewhere in their subconscious that if they let too many of those things go, then they're going to have to admit that the whole thing was wrong. And if the whole thing was wrong, then they were deceived. They were tricked. They were lied to. And it would turn out that these people who believe they are intellectual giants, they are college educated, there's surely no way they could be the one that's tricked. Well, they were. And then what would that mean about how they've treated everyone else? The people they've called domestic terrorists, the spreaders of the big lie, anti-vaxxers, science deniers, climate deniers, election deniers. Oh, those were the people that were right the whole time. And me with my college degree, somehow I was the one who was wrong. Well, yes, that is actually the scenario we're dealing with here. Sorry, guys, you're trapped in a false reality. I was there myself. I got out. I know what was in my brain then. I know why I believe those things. I know I thought I was informed, but the truth is I never actually bothered to look at the other side, not the real other side. I was looking at the other side as described within the central narrative. So the lies within the grand narrative and the lies among all the component parts, that's the goal. That's what they want everyone to eventually believe. And at that point, they will have detached you entirely from reality, you will be the only source of information they can depend on because you're the only one giving them information that is consistent with what they already believe. They cannot imagine a reality different than the false reality they're trapped in. So anything that does not conform to that false reality will be disbelieved. And they have been very, very successful with that effort over time. But that effort is now failing and it has been failing for a number of years now. And the more that effort fails, what do they have to do? They have to employ censorship and propaganda. And once the censorship and propaganda are exposed and people begin to detach from the false reality and re-engage with the empirical observable reality, well, then you have to begin changing the language. Think about the words whose definitions, the words and concepts whose definitions are entirely different than they used to be. 
Now it's impossible to be racist against white people. Now you have to be a biologist to know what a woman is. As of a few days ago, the definition of female now is someone who identifies as the opposite of male. And it's odd that the feminists haven't gotten upset about this yet because literally they are trying to define female based on its relationship to male. These are the same people who tried to figure out a new spelling of women. It would be W-O-M-Y-N. They've been on that path for a long time. They straight up redefined what a vaccine was. They redefined what herd immunity is. And now they're redefining what a recession is. A recession has always been in the broad public understanding two consecutive quarters of negative growth. But since the fake administration has brought us to consecutive quarters of negative growth, the definition of recession has to change. This is Joe Biden's advisor, Brian Deese. If you're not familiar with Brian Deese, he's the man who recently said Americans will have to just suck it up and continue paying high gas prices because they are primarily concerned with preserving the liberal world order. And as I always remind everyone, the liberal part of that phrase is not even the most problematic part. The most problematic part is world order. We are a sovereign nation. That is what our constitution guarantees. We are not meant to be part of a world order. We do not want world governance. And we'll get to a little bit of that in a second. But here's Brian Deese on the, uh, the definition of recession, which has been an issue that I know many of you have uh, reported on. Um, as Secretary Yellen said on Sunday, uh, two negative quarters of GDP growth is not uh, the technical definition of recession. It's not the definition that economists have traditionally uh, relied on. Got that? Not only is it not the definition now, it has never been the definition. And let's go ahead and give him the benefit of the doubt, right? I'm sure there is some convoluted, complicated explanation for how the definition that the public broadly agrees is the definition has never been the definition. But if that's true, why does this question even need answering? He's suggesting that everyone has always been wrong about the definition of recession. And while, yes, we do have two consecutive quarters of negative growth, you're not looking at the other part of the definition of recession, which is something that cannot happen under Joe Biden's illegitimate administration. You see that that part was always part of the definition. You guys just didn't know because Joe Biden never had an administration before. They can't just go out and admit they're changing the definition to avoid negative coverage of the rampant failing of the illegitimate administration. They have to recreate the definition and convince you that it was always this way. There is all of this talk about a possible recession and the technical definition of what it means. Let's forget that and just get practical. Explain to us the health of our economy right now. 
Well, we're in a transition and it feels unique because it is unique. See, we can't call it a recession because this is an entirely unique situation. And the uniqueness of this situation exists in the fact that the illegitimate administration was never there before. Now that the illegitimate administration is in power, the definition of recession has always been wrong. This cannot, by that definition, be a recession. And the MSNBC host wants to just put the definition of recession aside. Let's just forget about what the definition is. Tell us what's different now. Well, we're in a transition. It feels unique because it is unique. And because it's so unique, it's understandable that people are confused about what's happening. So to clear things up, let's go to the White House's lead propagandist, Corinne Jean-Pierre. And what is exactly the White House's definition of a recession? Again, we don't, we don't, def- I'm not going to define it from here. I'm just going to leave it to the NBER as, as we have stated of how they define uh, recession. I'm just saying? saying that we're just not going to define it. We use the indicators that the NBER, uh, uh, the Nas- National Bureau of Economic Research have, have used. We've mentioned that a few times. Wait a second. How can you know we're not in a recession if you don't know what a recession is? She's just simply appealing to the very elite, very legitimate authority. They haven't given the definition of recession yet. They just know we're not in one. And so Corinne Jean-Pierre doesn't have to worry about the definition. She only has to let everyone know we're not in one. And here's the fake president himself. We could be in a recession. We're not going to be in a recession, uh, in my view. Uh, we uh, The employment rate is still one of the lowest we've had in history. It's in the 3.6 area. Uh, we still find ourselves with people investing. Uh, my, my hope is we go from this rapid growth to steady growth. And uh, so see, we'll see some coming down. But I don't think we're going to, uh, God willing, I don't think we're going to see a recession. So not only are we not in a recession, the situation is unique. We're in a transition. And yes, we have two quarters of negative growth, but that's not the definition. This transition that would have formerly been called a recession is actually a good thing. We don't want too much economic growth. It's actually better if we scale back the economy a little bit. So yes, you might experience the recession and the data might show that we're in recession by the common, broadly understood definition that we've gone by for decades. But you have to understand that part of the definition of recession is something that cannot happen to the illegitimate Joe Biden administration. They could never oversee a recession because that might mean they're not very good at their jobs. And because they are very good at their jobs, we cannot be in a recession. Now, you'd think that they would want to put forth a new definition of recession so they could say, by this definition, this is not a recession and try to actually convince people to believe it. But they actually don't even care about that. All they need is a plausible reason. For people on their side, people trapped within the central narrative, the child brains who are still part of the 4% of Arizona voters and fewer than 20% of American voters who strongly approve of this administration, 
They just need to give them a story that they can tell other people so that when you say to one of these child brains, yeah, we're in a recession, they can say, no, we're not. And you're like, yeah, we've had two consecutive quarters of negative growth. And they say that's not the definition of recession. In fact, that's never been the definition of recession. And then they believe that they sound very smart and very sophisticated about economics. And you, the person accusing the Biden administration of overseeing and thus being responsible for a recession, you are a conspiracy theorist. And so if you say that they are in a recession, you're going to be debunked and fact-checked and then shadow banned. And if you keep going, you're going to lose your privileges of participating in society. And again, this is not a new phenomenon. This is stuff that has happened before, and it is a phenomenon that was observed very keenly by George Orwell in 1984. And I want to share some quotes from 1984 with you if you haven't read it in some time. If you haven't read it ever, I suggest you read it immediately. It will be shocking how relevant 1984 is in trying to understand what's happened now. Orwell called the changing of words and the invention of new language that benefits the state new speak. So here are some quotes from 1984. The party said that Oceania had never been in alliance with Eurasia. He, Winston Smith, knew that Oceania had been in alliance with Eurasia as short a time as four years ago. But where did that knowledge exist? Only in his own consciousness, which in any case must soon be annihilated. And if all others accepted the lie which the party imposed, if all records told the same tale, then the lie passed into history and became truth. Who controls the past, ran the party slogan, controls the future. Who controls the present, controls the past. And yet the past, though of its nature alterable, never had been altered. Whatever was true now was true from everlasting to everlasting. It was quite simple. All that was needed was an unending series of victories over your own memory. Reality control, they called it. In Newspeak, doublethink. And one more quote from 1984. Oceanic society rests ultimately on the belief that Big Brother is omnipotent and that the party is infallible. But since in reality, Big Brother is not omnipotent and the party is not infallible, there is need for an unwearying moment to moment flexibility in the treatment of facts. The key word here is black white. Like so many new speak words, this word has two mutually contradictory meanings applied to an opponent. It means the habit of impudently claiming that black is white in contradiction of the plain facts. Applied to a party member, it means a loyal willingness to say that black is white when party discipline demands this. But it means also the ability to believe that black is white and more to know that black is white and to forget that one has ever believed the contrary. And you might say, fine, they're changing the definition of recession. It's not that big a deal. We all know that they're kind of just being a little cutesy with the definition of recession because they don't want to admit that this is a recession. 
But people do believe that we're not in a recession because of this new definition, because they never really knew the definition before. They never understood it. They never understood why that was the definition or what it meant. They only know that recession is bad and not recession is just fine. So as long as this isn't a recession, then the fake administration has not caused a recession. And because they can give a few examples about how things are really good, it's ridiculous for anyone to complain about the economy, even if we are in recession. So we have two worlds. One where, according to the broadly understood definition that has been used for decades, we absolutely are now in a recession and one where there is no definition of recession, except we know we are not in one. In the empirical observable reality, we are in recession. In the false reality, we are not. And once you've applied this trick again and again and again to issue after issue after issue. Once words have no meaning, once the grander definitions built on a series of component parts are all false, but still totally representative of the false reality, you have detached people completely from some concrete reality as it was always understood. Nothing they believe, nothing they say, nothing they think matches that concrete observable, empirical reality as everyone commonly understands it. And as long as the cultural authorities and the channels of communication that exist in the mainstream support every aspect of the false reality, people can spend their entire lives only engaging with the false reality. The only way anyone snaps out of it is once the false reality proves itself to be false by affecting their real lives to such a degree that it becomes undeniable. And of course, that is what we understand as the moment of awakening. It's the moment where you discover that the reality you've been existing in is a false one and you try to re-engage with the empirical, observable, concrete reality. People who have not reached that point have failed to do so because amidst some of the greatest concurrent crises this nation has ever faced, they have experienced nothing that affects their lives in a significant enough way to consider that they might be wrong about an unending series of subjects they will admit they know very little about and take very little interest in. They just hold on to the idea there's no way the whole thing can be wrong. Think about where we end up once we redefine all these words, it's not just simply in the way we speak and understand this stuff has impact on real people's lives. You remember five or six years ago, there was all the controversy at universities. Male students were being called rapists because they had sex with female students, some of whom they were in relationships with after the female student had consumed two or more alcoholic beverages because it was determined that that's the point at which they could no longer consent to sex. So if the male student had sex with the female student, then that was rape. And now they're rapists. And now having sex with one's girlfriend 
makes a person guilty of one of the most heinous crimes that can be committed. And what if it turns out that the male student also had more than two alcoholic beverages? Is that male student now unable to consent? Is the female student now also a rapist? Well, no, because that's not what the new definition of rapist includes. And does this situation always describe rape throughout our society? Well, no. It turns out that this particular definition is only used when someone needs to be punished. Because despite the definition of rapist changing, rapists are still the most reprehensible people in society. I mean, we got murderers, rapists, rapists, and well, it used to be pedophiles. Those would be all the most reprehensible things you could be accused of being, but they're kind of chipping away at those. Killing a baby in the womb is not murder. Saying horrific things about white people is not racist. Having sex with your girlfriend, if she's a little buzzed, is rape. And being sexually attracted to children is not bad. It's not pedophilia unless you act on it. I've talked before on this show about how they've effectively changed the definition of misinformation, disinformation, malinformation. It's got nothing to do with what the facts are now. It only matters whether or not the information people are getting leads them to the conclusions people aren't supposed to reach. You're never supposed to reach the conclusion, for instance, that masks don't work, except implicit in their mask policies is the fact that masks don't work. Now they recommend well-fitted high filtration masks implicit in that recommendation is the understanding that the cloth and surgical masks don't work. Turns out the well-fitted and high filtration masks don't work for what they're recommending them for either, but we can leave that aside. Also implicit in the masking policy, when Anthony Fauci began saying that two masks would work better than one, is the understanding that one mask doesn't work. But you're supposed to understand better safe than sorry, and if there's any chance the mask works, then it's worth wearing. And naturally, you can increase the chances of the masks working if you wear two of them. But if you confront the facts about masks, including the fact that there's no way a mask with holes larger than the viral particles could actually stop the viral particles, or the fact that no one wears properly any mask that could actually stop viral particles, or the fact that there has never been any scientific evidence for masks working, particularly on people who don't even have an illness. Well, then you might reach the conclusion that masks don't work and that people trying to force you to wear masks have something else in mind because they know too that masks don't work. Well, if you reach those conclusions, then you must have been subject to disinformation. And because we don't want anyone subject to disinformation, we need to censor all the facts that might lead people to wrong conclusions. And here's Dr. Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus, the director of the WHO, who I discussed in depth a couple of days ago. 
Stigma and discrimination can be as dangerous as any virus and can fuel the outbreak. As we have seen with COVID-19, misinformation and disinformation can spread rapidly online. So we call on all social media platforms, tech companies, and news organizations to work with us to prevent and counter harmful information. The director of the global governing body is asking the big tech platforms to censor anyone who is spreading misinformation or disinformation about monkeypox. And that will undoubtedly include real, true, observable, empirical facts about monkeypox that might lead people to conclusions the WHO does not want people to reach. And take the next step here. This is the head of a global governing body, a body committed to the liberal world order, the world order, telling tech companies that know everything about you, what you are allowed to say. He is directly attempting to regulate the free speech of Americans in violation of the First Amendment. But of course, he's not the American government. So the First Amendment doesn't apply to him, don't you see? And he's asking for censorship from private companies. So it's not the government censoring your speech. Therefore, your First Amendment doesn't apply. And if you accept all that, then it's impossible to even make this a First Amendment issue. It's just what has to happen if you want to avoid being accused of indirectly killing someone's gay grandmother. But you see, all of this only applies in one direction. The global governing bodies, the American government, the public health community, the universities, the entertainment industry, our media, they are not capable of spreading misinformation or disinformation or malinformation because they are delivering information from the authoritative source. And whether or not the information is delivered from the authoritative source becomes the fulcrum in determining whether something is true or false in the first place. So if only one group of people can be spreading misinformation or disinformation in the first place, then only one group can do the censoring and one group gets censored. And the group that does the censoring doesn't only get to decide what everyone else is allowed to say. They retain full rights to say whatever they want all the time, anywhere they want. Just yesterday, it was reported that Hulu, which is owned by Disney, had been refusing to air ads promoting the communist agenda on a range of various social issues. That story has been updated. This is the Hollywood Reporter today. Hulu to accept political issue ads after thorough review of ad policies. Hulu will now accept political issue advertising after parent company, the Walt Disney Company, reevaluated its advertising policies. 
Disney unveiled the decision on Wednesday morning, saying that the new policy brings streamer Hulu in line with its general entertainment networks and ESPN+. After a thorough review of ad policies across its linear networks and streaming platforms over the last few months, Disney is now aligning Hulu's political advertising policies to be consistent with the company's general entertainment and sports cable networks and ESPN+, a Disney representative told The Hollywood Reporter in a statement. Hulu will now accept candidate and issue advertisements covering a wide spectrum of policy positions, but reserves the right to request edits or alternative creative in alignment with industry standards. Hulu had been facing public criticism, including a hashtag boycott Hulu hashtag from groups aligned with Democrats after it rejected ads related to abortion and gun safety. The ads from the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee and Democratic Governors Association were rejected by Hulu, even as they were permitted to run on other platforms like Facebook and YouTube, as well as on Disney owned ESPN and a Disney owned ABC affiliate. Disney has long been protective with its brands and has said that it won't allow political ads or ads for alcohol on Disney Plus when that streaming services advertising tier launches later this year. And this is quite the turnaround. Just two days ago in the Washington Post, this article appeared. Dems fume at Disney's Hulu for blocking ads on abortion, guns, and January 6th. The Disney-backed streaming service Hulu is refusing to run political ads on central themes of Democratic midterm campaigns, including abortion, guns, and the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol, prompting fury from the party's candidates and leaders. Oh no, fury. The streaming service popular among younger voters, which has a policy against running content deemed controversial, is like other digital providers in not being bound by the Communications Act of 1934, a law that requires broadcast television networks to provide politicians equal access to the airwaves. The Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee, Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee, and Democratic Governors Association tried to purchase joint ads on abortion and guns with Hulu on July 15th, along with identical placements on a Disney-affiliated ABC affiliate in Philadelphia and the company's cable sports channel ESPN. The Hulu ads never ran, while the others did. Hulu's censorship of the truth is outrageous, offensive, and another step down a dangerous path for our country. The executive directors of the three committees, Christy Roberts, Tim Persico, and Noam Lee, said in a statement provided to the Washington Post. Voters have the right to know the facts about MAGA Republicans' agenda on issues like abortion. And Hulu is doing a huge disservice to the American people by blocking voters from learning the truth about the GOP record, or denying these issues from even being discussed. Understand? So Hulu doesn't even have the option not to show these ads. They have to show these ads. If they don't show these ads, then Hulu is censoring the truth so that voters can't get the truth. You see, the truth is defined as what emerges from the authoritative source. And since the Democrat Communist Party on all issues remains entirely fact-based, they are the only truth tellers. 
if they are not allowed to express their opinions everywhere and every time they want on public channels, including those owned by private companies, then they are being censored and having their First Amendment rights violated. Now, I searched for the hashtag boycott Hulu on Twitter, and I encourage you guys to do that. I scanned through about a hundred or so tweets in the top tweets with that hashtag, and not a single one of them was from before Monday. So July 25th, Monday, is when this Washington Post article came out. This issue went wide and the hashtag campaign began. Two days later, Disney changes their policy in response to this hashtag. These Democrat Communist Party organizations started publicizing the fact that they were being censored by Hulu. The hashtag campaign began. The Washington Post amplified this story from the Democrat perspective, and now the policy had to change. The point of view of the authoritative source must be shared and spread all the time. If you refuse to share and spread the point of view of the authoritative source, that is censorship. That's the new definition of censorship. The new definition of censorship only applies when the point of view of the authoritative source doesn't get to exist in every single space it demands itself to exist. If you hinder the spread of the information derived from the authoritative source at all, you are jeopardizing the future of our democracy. Only one point of view is allowed to be represented. The other point of view must be silenced and marginalized. The point of view that's allowed to be represented must be represented. And if it turns out that someone speaking from that point of view is eventually proven wrong and people can see that what was said does not actually reflect in the real world, well, then what was said was never said. What was done was never done. What happened did not happen. This is Anthony Fauci yesterday. Time there were um, authorities that made different decisions than the CDC's recommendations, for example, on school closures, and they did not see higher levels of child mortality when it comes to COVID. And meanwhile, the schools that did close down were now seeing just disastrous levels of learning loss among poor children, children of color, mental health crisis. I wonder if you would recommend locking down schools if you had to do it all over again. Well, you know, again, it's uh, first of all, I didn't recommend locking anything down. You're, you're asking me questions. You're talking about the CDC is the public health agency mm -hmm. that uses their epidemiologists and their science based approach to make recommendations. Clearly, whenever you close schools, there are collateral effects that are negative. I have always been well aware of that. And I have always felt, and you go back and look at my statements, that we need to do everything we can to keep the schools open and safe. And by safe means, if you need to wear masks in that, wear masks. Get better ventilation. Surround the children with people who are vaccinated if a vaccine is available to help protect the children. I didn't recommend locking anything down, he says. That is factually, provably false. Anthony Fauci 
is simply lying about something that really happened. Here is the transcript from Anthony Fauci with Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta on CNN from April 2nd, 2020. As you might imagine, finding clips of that show is very difficult. But I've quoted all of this in writing and have been referencing this since 2020. Remember, they used to have their little COVID town halls where they would have Anthony Fauci answer viewer questions. And you had Anderson Cooper there as the host and Sanjay Gupta as the co-host and medical expert. This is Anderson Cooper. These are the words in CNN's transcript. This is transcripts.cnn.com. So Anderson Cooper, we continue the CNN Global Town Hall, coronavirus facts and fears with answers to your questions about the pandemic. At the bottom of the screen, you'll see our social media scroll that shows the questions people are asking. Joining Sanjay and me with with answers, Dr. Anthony Fauci, a member of the White House Coronavirus Task Force. Dr. Fauci, we want to get to viewer questions in just a moment. First, Knowing the signs, does it make sense some states are still not issuing stay-at-home orders? I mean, whether there should be a federally mandated directive for that or not, I guess that's more of a political question. But just scientifically, doesn't everybody have to be on the same page with this stuff? Anthony Fauci. Yes, I think so, Anderson. I don't understand why that's not happening. As you said, you know... The tension between federally mandated versus states' rights to do what they want is something I don't want to get into. But if you look at what's going on in this country, I just don't understand why we're not doing that. We really should be. What was said was not said. What happened did not happen. If you say otherwise, then you will be marginalized. You'll be censored. You'll be shadow banned. You'll be banned. You will be a no-no person and you will be accused of spreading disinformation and dangerous conspiracy theories that could lead someone's gay grandmother to be killed by monkeypox. And I'm sure that they expect everyone to just accept Anthony Fauci's new answer. Forget about everything that was said before. Remember, none of them ever claimed that the vaccine would prevent transmission, even though they changed the definition of herd immunity to include people that were vaccinated. And you can't have herd immunity unless people stop transmitting the disease, whether through vaccination or natural immunity. But if vaccination is going to become part of herd immunity, it has to stop the transmission of the disease. But none of them ever said that. That's what we're being told now even though we know that they did. If people realize this, then they'll just simply redefine lockdown. And what will the new definition be? Something that Anthony Fauci never recommended. Because Anthony Fauci not only communicates the voice of the authoritative source, Anthony Fauci is part of the authoritative source. He's the science part. Remember, he said he represents science. Anybody who's looking at this carefully realizes that there's a distinct anti-science flavor to this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. 
But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize. But they're really criticizing science because I represent science. Now, let's switch subjects slightly. David Rothkopf is the latest person to be upset about Donald Trump's pending dismantling of the deep state, the administrative state. You know, that thing that was a conspiracy theory before. And he wrote about it in the Daily Beast. The man was the former managing director of Kissinger Associates, an international advisory firm founded by Henry Kissinger. He was a member of the Council on Foreign Relations, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace the Johns Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health, the U.S. Institute of Peace, the Center for Global Development, all of these old school globalist organizations he's been a part of. And in the 90s, he was part of the Clinton administration. You're going to miss the deep state when it's gone. That's the headline from yesterday in the Daily Beast. Donald Trump wants to replace the myth of a deep state cabal that answers to no one with the reality of a government controlled by a legion of handpicked loyalists who answer only to him. And apparently he's unaware that that is what the Constitution intends when it makes the president the leader of the executive branch. There is nothing in the Constitution that protects the career permanence of federal bureaucrats. The plan, long apparent to those working closely with Trump, has been detailed in an Axios series by reporter Jonathan Swan as a sweeping government overhaul that could push as many as 50,000 career officials out of their jobs and move the country a giant step closer to dictatorship. You got that? Having a fake president in charge of an illegitimate government by virtue of a stolen election who begins to systematically strip away rights guaranteed by the country's constitution, that is not a dictatorship. Having a president who is duly elected by the people and then executes his job in the way the people have empowered him to. That is the new definition of dictatorship. During his presidency, Trump was regularly frustrated by the fact that government officials, appointees, as well as career officials in the civil service, the military, the intelligence community and the foreign service were an impediment to the autocratic impulses about which he often openly fantasized. Remember the time he said he wished his staff would cower like North Korean dictator Kim Jong-un's? He wasn't kidding. Trump would rail about the deep state, promoting the idea that has circulated on the hard right for years of a permanent government that was accountable to no one. It reached a wider audience from the fever swamp of Alex Jones's Infowars and was legitimized in the minds of true believers in a book by former congressional staffer Mike Lofgren called The Deep State, The Fall of the Constitution and the Rise of a Shadow Government. In the book, Lofgren argued that big institutions inside and outside of government are so entrenched, it is hard to bring any real change. Political options are limited. 
Now you have to understand that whole original framing right there, that there is a permanent government accountable to no one that came from Alex Jones and this one book, not the fact that there are career bureaucrats who are accountable to no one, who you are not allowed to fire according to people exactly like this. This article is an argument about why those people can't be fired. And if they are, it's a dictatorship. What do you take from that? But the fact that they are accountable to no one, they're not accountable to the president unless we have a dictatorship. That is the framing we are told we must work in. And at the same time, he is denying that there is a permanent government unaccountable to anyone in the first place. But Trump's real issue with career professionals and even many of the senior officials he himself appointed was not that they reported to no one, but that instead they actually understood to whom they did report the American people. They took their oaths of office seriously, which on a regular basis during the Trump years meant that they foiled some of Trump's craziest or most dangerous plans by pointing out they were unconstitutional, illegal, or gravely damaging to U.S. national interests. And do you see the conflation that he just employed? Unconstitutional and illegal do not have to be stopped by federal bureaucrats. They can be stopped by the courts. Because the president, as chief executive, is not allowed to do unconstitutional or illegal things. But he is allowed to run the executive branch. He does not have to follow the opinion of career bureaucrats at federal agencies. He does not have to agree with them, with their assessment that what he wants to do is gravely damaging to U.S. interests. And of course, in this framing, anything that does not help advance the global communist agenda is considered gravely damaging to U.S. interests. Time and time again, when Trump's inner circle clicked their heels and said, yes, sir, and the GOP led Congress ignored its constitutional responsibilities, really bad ideas were ultimately stopped, slowed or diluted by senior government officials who actually understood the concept and responsibilities of public service. So now it's not only Donald Trump who is stupid and dangerous, it's also the Congress. So whatever the Constitution says, the president can't make the decisions for the executive branch. He is tasked to lead and the Congress can't make their decisions. None of these elected leaders are able to make these decisions. And thank goodness we have these bureaucrats in the federal agencies who are accountable to no one in place to make them. He is arguing that these federal bureaucrats should have more power than the president and the Congress, but simultaneously that the deep state doesn't even exist. We have seen extreme examples of how this worked in the course of the January 6th committee hearings. Senior officials in the Justice Department, the White House Counsel's Office, or even junior White House staffers like Cassidy Hutchinson stepped up to try to stop Trump from mounting a coup against the government he had in 2016 been elected to lead. Now, again, this article is from yesterday in the morning, but you will know if you listen to yesterday's episode of the podcast that Cassidy Hutchinson 
and her testimony have been completely refuted, not only on the factual basis about the things she testified to in front of the January 6th committee, but also the fact that she was supportive of Trump. And she dismissed the grand narrative of the insurrection. She made fun of the January 6th committee, but that hadn't come out by the time this article was written. So this part of the central narrative still exists and is included in this very reasoning. They have a picture of Cassidy Hutchinson in this article on the Daily Beast. These people are utterly deranged. Some debate whether what these people did was heroic or worthy of praise, given that many had supported and enabled Trump in other circumstances. And that is presented in this article as a complete sentence, though it is not. Michelle Goldberg outlined this point of view in The Myth of the Good Trump Official in the New York Times. Oh, yes, the very reliable Michelle Goldberg. I would suggest that we need to be open to the idea that sometimes people with whom we do not agree politically and or those who support policies, which we may even find abhorrent, are capable of doing good and that they deserve credit for it because it is in our interest that people do step up and do the right thing when the stakes are highest. You get that evil people turn good because it is in our interest that people step up and do the right thing when the stakes are highest. So they become good when they do something in our interest. Or to put it another way, if, as F. Scott Fitzgerald once said, the test of a first-rate intelligence is the ability to hold two opposed ideas in mind at the same time and still retain the ability to function. It is a sign of first-rate grasp of politics that we are able to acknowledge that sometimes those with whom we disagree sometimes do good things, just as it is possible that those with whom we agree do bad ones. Wow, what a sentence. <laughs> this is terrible, honestly. Since we benefit every time someone does something good, we should encourage that behavior, particularly when, for example, the survival of our democracy is at stake. Oh, no, our democracy. By the way, what is the definition of someone doing something good? And of course, he supplied it for us just above. It's something that is in our interest. There is no fundamental principle. There is no objective morality. There is no set of rules that we refer back to right and wrong, good or bad. All that matters is what is in our interest. It could not be clearer. That said, the coup attempt was not the only time Trump was frustrated and ultimately kept from doing something disastrously ill-conceived by the human guardrails throughout the U.S. government, not by a long shot. In fact, it is no exaggeration to say that multiple conflicts, crimes, and human tragedies were averted throughout the Trump years by people quietly doing their jobs outside the limelight, often as part of a daily struggle with Trump and his inner circle by a wide cross-section of members of his own cabinet, sub-cabinet, senior political appointees, and career officials. This is not only an admission of the systematic undermining of a duly elected president, it is the glorification of it. 
Indeed, while many of these people could and should have drawn more attention to Trump's contemplated crimes and horrifically misguided policy impulses, the arguments made by many of them that they had to stay in place to keep things from going off track is certainly understandable. After all, that is what some of them were called upon to do every day. You see, undermining the duly elected president is now good. Further, as Trump and those closest to him grew increasingly frustrated with such officials, they set in motion efforts to replace them with lackeys, stooges who placed Trump ahead of the Constitution, the American people, the institutions they served, and often common sense. To take another big lie-related example, Remember the time acting defense secretary Chris Miller pressed a colleague to look into claims that Italian satellites were siphoning off American votes. Oh, wait, the acting secretary of defense also thought the Italian satellite thing was worth looking into. Thank you for reminding us. I was convinced that was a conspiracy theory. Or how about the move to place environmental lawyer Jeffrey Clark atop the Department of Justice to help advance the big lie? In fact, there were an increasing number of such puppet picks being made during the third and fourth year of Trump's term in office, from moving the unqualified Richard Grinnell to be acting director of national intelligence to replacing him with even less qualified John Ratcliffe or from making former Devin Nunes staffer Cash Patel acting deputy DNI to making him Miller's chief of staff. Trump also made a familiar practice of appointing loyalists to acting roles atop the Department of Homeland Security. So you should understand this to mean that Donald Trump, the duly elected president of the United States, is not allowed to appoint his own choice of officials even though it is his role to do exactly that as the duly elected president and the leader of the executive branch. I have recently completed a book about how career staffers and appointees work together to defuse dangerous Trump ideas from going too easy on Russia to the plan to blackmail Ukraine's president Volodymyr Zelensky from wanting to launch spur of the moment attacks on North Korea to wanting to install an alligator filled moat along our southern border from seeking to suppress data on COVID to wanting to direct aid for it and other national disasters to regions based on whether they supported Trump or not. This is absolute bizarro world, false reality, fantasy. Each and every bit of this is absurd. Going too easy on Russia can only be understood if you believe in the false reality that Russian collusion is true, but it's not. Each and every component part of Russiagate is a falsehood. The grander narrative is a falsehood. Likewise, the plan to blackmail Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, the whistleblower was nonsense. The transcript that Adam Schiff pretended to read in front of Congress was fake. The real transcript was released and you can see that it was fake. We know for a fact that all of this was about Joe Biden's influence in Ukraine. Joe Biden's corruption in Ukraine. Joe Biden held a billion dollars of aid over their heads so that they would remove the person investigating that corruption. Wanting to launch spur of the moment attacks on North Korea? Well, that never happened. There were no attacks on North Korea. I think we can all 
Understand that. Donald Trump actually crossed the demilitarized zone. Donald Trump was working for a peaceful outcome with North Korea. Donald Trump did not start any pointless foreign conflicts that depleted American resources that cost America in blood and treasure. An alligator filled moat at the southern border. Well, hey, you didn't want to finish the wall. I guess an alligator moat might be helpful. But the real point is the wall should have been finished. Instead, we have a veritable slave trade being run across our southern border by the illegitimate president seeking to suppress data on covid. We literally just had Dr. Deborah Burks admitted that she falsified data and edited the reports so that she could push her agenda. She admitted that in a book she ostensibly wrote. And sending aid to states that support his policies, that is absolutely the practice of the Uniparty. The COVID relief packages were directed primarily to the blue states that were upping the count of cases. The COVID money was used to fix their pension deficits. They legitimately pay blue state politicians to implement their policies, those policies always align with the global communist agenda. This only makes sense if you accept the, the legitimacy and truthfulness of a wholly false reality. In speaking to scores of officials who served under Trump, a repeated refrain from cabinet members to rank and file bureaucrats was that they knew that if Trump were reelected, he would eradicate all potential impediments to advancing his agenda. And of course, he's talking about the administrative state here while telling us that permanent government accountable to no one doesn't exist. He doesn't want the duly elected president to have the power to remove members of the executive branch he is elected to lead. So if this permanent government isn't accountable to the president, who are they accountable to? Introducing late in the administration the idea of reclassifying tens of thousands of federal employees as Schedule F, thereby making them easier to fire and replace, was a centerpiece of this effort. As Swan's reporting in Axios notes, President Joe Biden undid that effort, but Trump world is planning to restore it immediately should they regain power. Well, how are they going to do that if it's unconstitutional or illegal? Oh, you're saying it's just damaging to our interests. And of course, those bureaucrats are representing the will of the American people, not the person who was duly elected to be president. You can't take anything from that. The core point is this. As bad as Trump was when he took office, he did not know anything about how the U.S. government works. Now he and those closest to him do. They know that dedicated career officials and appointees who have long worked in and around government are perhaps the most important remaining check Trump or another extreme right GOP president would encounter. Isn't that strange? It's only Trump and the extreme right GOP that these federal bureaucrats would need to thwart. They don't need to thwart anything right now because they are totally aligned with the illegitimate president and his agenda. 
Isn't that amazing? The Supreme Court knocks down policy after policy after policy that Joe Biden tries to implement on the basis of those policies being unconstitutional and illegal. But the deep state, the administrative state, they have no interest in stopping him now. Because of the dysfunction of our minority dominated Senate, the radical views of the GOP in the House and our conservative stacked Supreme Court, other than voters, it is often only those within the government who respect the law and are in a position to challenge dangerous ideas or abuse who can impede our drift toward being an authoritarian state. So the president, the Congress and the Supreme Court, the entire judiciary branch, none of them are allowed to do their jobs. The only people whose work is valued, whose work is empowered, are the people in the federal bureaucracy, the administrative state. He is telling you who actually runs the country for the benefit of the global communist order. And he had to include that slight nod to voters. If he had left that out, he would sound like the authoritarian the proponent of dictatorship, he actually is, but only within empirical, observable, concrete reality. Within the false reality, he is saving our democracy. In other words, we must recognize that Trump does not want to stop the deep state because it is a threat to Americans. He wants to stop it because it is one of the last things that stands between him and his desire to rule like the thugs he emulates. And not only does all this make sense within the false reality, it is the only thing that can make sense in the false reality. This is the voice of the authoritative source. In the false reality, the Constitution is not the law of the land in the false reality. In the false reality, the American people are bound to continue electing the wrong people because they are disinformed and misinformed, which is why we need to take away their option for choosing the wrong people. Because it's not only Donald Trump they have to stop, it's the will of the American voters. And who's going to stop the will of the American voters when you simply can't trust the executive branch, the legislative branch, or the judicial branch? Well, that's going to be federal bureaucrats. And if you can't depend only on them, well, then you got to make sure that the state bureaucrats are there and they have enough power to stop things, too. And the local people, too. All of them are tasked with protecting our democracy from anyone who might threaten what's in our democracy's best interest. But don't worry, there was no election fraud, according to election officials. Because in the false reality, election fraud is defined as something only the no-no people can do. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. 
the number one selling product of its kind with over 20 years of research and innovation. Botox Cosmetic, Anabotulinum Toxin A, is a prescription medicine used to temporarily make moderate to severe frown lines, crow's feet, and forehead lines look better in adults. Effects of Botox Cosmetic may spread hours to weeks after injection, causing serious symptoms. Alert your doctor right away as difficulty swallowing, speaking, breathing, eye problems, or muscle weakness may be a sign of a life-threatening condition. Patients with these conditions before injection are at highest risk. Don't receive Botox Cosmetic if you have a skin infection. Side effects may include allergic reactions, injection site pain, headache, eyebrow and eyelid drooping, and eyelid swelling. Allergic reactions can include rash, welts, asthma symptoms, and dizziness. Tell your doctor about medical history, muscle or nerve conditions including ALS or Lou Gehrig's disease, myasthenia gravis, or Lambert-Eaton syndrome and medications, including botulinum toxins, as these may increase the risk of serious side effects. For full safety information, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. See for yourself at BotoxCosmetic.com. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app, and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!